Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. We are continuing this journey through the Bible, and we have left the Gospels, and we are now in Acts, and we'll be in Acts and the letters for quite a while uh, now, and... Uh, one of the things about Acts is it's the it's the book of church history, and so with and then Paul is dealing with church. So I thought for these next few weeks, let's look at what it means to be church. And we're going to start with this passage here from Acts um, chapter 15, actually two passages. Some people came down from Judea teaching the family of believers. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom we've received from Moses, you can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas took sides against these Judeans and argued strongly against their position. The church at Antioch appointed Paul, Barnabas, and several others from Antioch to go up to Jerusalem to set this question before the apostles and the elders. The church sent this delegation on their way. They traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria telling stories about the conversion of the Gentiles to everyone. Their reports thrilled the brothers and sisters. When they arrived in Jerusalem, the church, the apostles, and the elders all welcomed them. They gave a full report of what God had accomplished through their activity. Some believers from among the Pharisees stood up and claimed the Gentiles must be circumcised. They must be required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After much debate, Peter stood and addressed them. Fellow believers, you know that early on God chose me from among you as the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God, who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires, confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. Why then are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? On the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The entire assembly fell quiet as they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God did among the Gentiles through their activity. When Barnabas and Paul also fell silent, James responded, Fellow believers, listen to me. Simon reported how in his kindness God came to the Gentiles in the first place to raise up from them a people of God. The prophet's words agree with this as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild what has been torn down. I will restore it, so that the rest of humanity will seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who belong to me. The Lord says this, the one who does these things, known from earliest times. Therefore, I conclude that we shouldn't create problems for Gentiles who turn to God. Instead, we should write a letter telling them to avoid the pollution associated with idols, sexual immorality, eating meat from strangled animals, and consuming blood. After all, Moses has been proclaimed in every city for a long time and has read aloud every Sabbath in every synagogue. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit all the brothers and sisters in every city where we preach the Lord's word. Let's see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. Paul insisted that they shouldn't take him along since he had deserted them in Pamphylia and hadn't continued with them in their work. Their argument became so intense that they went their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, entrusted by the brothers and sisters to the Lord's grace. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So I come from a wandering family. Um, and now as I wander, as you wander most likely, I always have a camera with me. So in my most recent wanderings, I came across something I wanted to take a picture of. So I took that picture right there. And look at that. That says... The Methodist Church, 1830 to 1953. And I stopped and as I saw that and I thought, wow, what that church must have seen and, and all that it's been through. And if you just think about the conflict that it has been through, that church has been through the Civil War, through two world wars, through the Cold War, and, and through the Korean conflict. Does anyone know where that sign is? Ah, some people, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's here. <laughs> I wandered outside. <laughs> um, that is our cornerstone. That was late when this church was built in 1953 and 1954. And if you think about that since 1953, what else have we seen? But also a number of conflicts, Vietnam, the Gulf War, Afghanistan, Plus movements like the Civil Rights Movement, Equal Rights Movement, Rights for the Disabled, Rights for LGBTQIA plus people. All of those have been big conflicts that this church has navigated. But then what have we also seen as Methodists since that 1830 date? Well, in 1845, we saw the Methodist Episcopal Church divided into the Methodist Episcopal Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church South. Divided over the issue of slavery, and the Methodist Episcopal Church South chose to side with slavery. In 1860, we saw a split off to the, the formation of the Free Methodists. And, uh, the Free Methodist split is one of my favorites because one of the things that they left over was they objected to the selling of pews. Yes, you could buy your pew, and then you could decorate it however you wanted to decorate it, including putting tents up. So, you, you know, people behind you couldn't see anything. And the Free Methodists were like, that is not right. And then that was one of the reasons that they left. Um, in 1870, we saw the creation of the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, which is an African-American denomination. Two other African-American denominations formed before that cornerstone. In 1860, the, Af the African Methodist Episcopal, and in 1821, the AME Zion Church formed. In 1908, we saw the creation of the Church of the Nazarene, who objected to us because we were not holy enough. And then in 1939, we saw the union of the Methodist Episcopal Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church South to become the Methodist Church in 1939. And then in 1968, we brought in another a branch, the Evangelical United Brethren, who had split off from us at some point as well. And we became the United Methodist Church. The United part of our name comes from the Evangelical United Brethren. So 1968, the UMC was formed. And now we face another division into the Global Methodist Church and the United Methodist Church. But, but should we be surprised by all of this? Because clearly, we have always been a people who divides over things. 
Because we have always been people. And I don't know if you've noticed this about people, but people divide over things all the time. Now, I'm not going to give a whole summary of Christian history for you all of the number of times Christianity has divided. But I will point out one thing. I think it's very cool that the girls were confirmed on this day because this is Reformation Sunday. Uh, because on October 31st of 1517, that's when Martin Luther hammered the 95 Theses onto the Church of Wittenberg and kicked off what we would call the Protestant Reformation. That's where we all stand, right? <laughs> that's where we all stand today. But it was another division. But it's been part of our church from earliest history, and that's why I picked these passages from, from Acts for us to look at today. Because... Very early, we had issues to divide, including this one at hand, which is how Jewish do the Gentiles have to be, right? And like most conflicts, there's tension between those who want to keep things the way they have been, they want to keep things the same, versus those that recognize there's a change in context now, and a new change in context means new responses to things. So you have those that are opposing what Paul is doing by bringing in all of these Gentiles and they want to insist that if Gentiles are coming in, then they need to be circumcised. Versus you have Paul and his folks who say they don't need to be that Jewish, right? Like, um, it is, circumcision is a stumbling block because not only is it an, let's call it uncomfortable um, medical procedure, as an adult especially, um, but it is interfering with different cultural norms. So Jews understood circumcision as a way to um, maintain your fertility and have children. Whereas the Greco-Roman world believed that not being circumcised actually maintained your fertility. So there's a cultural problem here as well. So how do they handle this potential dividing issue? Well, I would like to say that they take a good Methodist approach to it. First, they try to keep everybody at the table. And this is a difficult thing to do, but they're going to try to do it because they believe God includes all. So they're going to try and find a way where we keep everybody at the table in this in this question. And then they use what we define as the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which we have good evidence for in this scripture. Right? Um, they first they turn to scripture and they quote Amos um, as being prophetic and saying there will be, can't be a time when the Gentiles will be included. Here we are. And then they also actually hearken back to Leviticus. The things that they require, the not drinking blood and not, you know, not eating something that does not be blood and not eating strangled thing or something to idols or sexual immorality. Those were the things in Leviticus that were required of both Jews and strangers that lived with Jews. So they're like, okay, we can, we'll just maintain those things that were applicable to both people regardless. And then, um, so they've turned to scripture, they also turn to tradition, they go to the apostles, right? We've got to take this issue to the apostles, the, the maintainers of tradition. And in particular, they reference what has happened with Peter, and then James is the one that speaks. And if you, if you don't know which James they're talking about here, it's a little bit shaky, but most likely they're talking about Jesus' brother. So they've gone back as far as they can go, right? And then they use their reason, they debate... They recognize that this burden doesn't make sense. Um, and they see the Holy Spirit at work with these people. And that draws in the experience that they've seen the Holy Spirit given to Gentiles. And they've seen signs and wonders from all of this. 
doing that, they write their letter, this is, we've got this settled, great, no more problems. Yeah, you all don't <laughs> No. <laughs> no, that's why I read the passage that I read following it, which has the division of Paul and Barnabas, right? Now, according to Luke, and let's be honest, Luke is not only the good PR person for the church, but he's also kind of Paul's hype man. So he's going to make this look, he's going to give a good spin on it, which is probably true, John Mark did flake out on it. And so that's what he says. You know, Paul was upset because John Mark flaked, and he didn't want to take somebody who was a flake. And Barnabas was like, give him another chance. But if you read Paul's letters, <laughs> Paul and Barnabas divided because Barnabas started to be hesitant about how inclusive they should be. And he was, he was having some reservations. And Paul doesn't think that it even went far enough. He wants to push past, he wants to even say, you don't have to worry about me and sacrifice to idols except in certain contexts, right? So, so we have this church division that happens. Paul and Barnabas, who were incredibly effective missionaries, split up as a result of it. Because that's kind of who we are. The church divides. But guess what? Paul and Barnabas split up, and that means Paul takes Silas and covers most of the eastern Mediterranean, spreads the word of Jesus Christ. And Barnabas takes John Mark, heads off to Cyprus, but also eventually hooks up with Peter. And Peter and John Mark, by tradition, are the ones that take the word into Rome. And so the word gets carried throughout the known world. And let's take a note here. When Paul makes this split, he eventually picks up Luke. Who writes Luke and Acts. Peter picks up John Mark. And you know who John Mark is? Mark. We got two Gospels and the book of Acts from a church division. My friends, that just goes to show us that even when we are dividing, even when we will break things down, God will say, it's not what I wanted, but I can work with it. I will make this still have power. I will reach people in new ways. In the midst of your brokenness and your division, I will still find a way that people will hear the good news. And I will find a way eventually to bring everyone back together because Paul and Barnabas eventually reunite. So my friends, you know, I hear from people every week worried about the, the United Methodist Church. I am worried for the people who are being hurt in the midst of the division. I am worried for the wounding that is taking place in the midst of this. But I am not worried about the church. I am not worried about the church because we worship a God who is a uniter in the midst of our division. We worship a God who is in the business of reconciliation and restoration. We worship a God who is in the business of justice. And I would like to stay, stand up here and say, I feel confidently that we are on the side of justice 
in this in this situation that the, that the ark that is bending in this way we are we are standing on the right side of history but I say that with some humility because this church was a Methodist Episcopal church set. We were a church that supported slavery. And that's good for us to remember. And then to remember that we should be grateful that we serve a God of inclusion and reconciliation. That we serve a God who makes space for Paul and Barnabas. That we serve a God who eventually reconciles slaves and slaveholders. That we serve a God who, who, who brings together those who condemn and those they condemn. That we serve a God that when we divide, that God unites and reconciles. When we laid that cornerstone, the church settled at me. This is from our book of worship. I want to read some of this litany that we said together. We lay this cornerstone for a church that shall fulfill a ministry of social service and be a blessing unto humanity. We lay this cornerstone for a church that shall be a renewing and cleansing power in the community and that loves every other communion that exalts Christ in the service of humanity. We lay this cornerstone for a church with an open door for all people, rich or poor, homeless or desolate, who need the help of God through us. We lay this cornerstone for a church that shall gather the children in its arms and hold them close to Christ, that they may grow up in the church and never be lost from the fold. We lay this cornerstone for a church which stands for the sacramental truth that is more blessed to give than to receive. We lay this cornerstone for a church which takes hold of two worlds. And stands for the unseen and eternal and which offers to humanity the abundant life which now is and which is to come. We lay a cornerstone in which all are welcome and all are loved. And that's the foundation we stand on from 1830? No. From 30. When Jesus Christ went forth and preached the word all who would hear and call us all to love God and to love neighbor. When Jesus Christ said there is space for all, that the Syrophoenician woman is welcome, the woman at the well is welcome, Peter is welcome, the one who denies him who's welcome, the one who betrays him is welcome, all are welcome. We stand on a foundation in which all of us were invited to the table. All of us are invited to the table, and all of us will be invited to the table. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at FUMC Bentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. 
come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.